Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Hi, this is Randy Brockdrop, outdoor enthusiast and friend of Living the Outdoors. Welcome to another hour here on The Score. From the Fast Sign Studios, more than fast, more than signs. It's Living the Outdoors with Mark Druitt, presented by Fleet Farm. Be part of the show by calling 281-1570 or 866-653-1570. Now, here's your host, Mark Druitt. Greetings and welcome to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Thanks for taking the time to join us here tonight. Got a great show planned for you. At any time during the broadcast, if you want to ask a question or chime in or make a comment, 281-1570 or 866-653-1570, we'd love to hear from you. You can also send me the emails at livingtheoutdoorswi at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram. I This time of year, I used to get a little bit more active. Uh, got a lot more things going on, putting blinds together, painting decoys, you know, the whole uh, whole spiel. So, uh, yeah, feel free to, to drop me a line or uh, you can you can follow me on Instagram and uh, we'll keep you keep you in the know when it comes to the outdoors. But, you know, here we are, you know, mid-August. It's hard to believe that we're just weeks away from the opening season of uh, early goose, early teal. Uh, dove season and then after that we've got you know opening and bow season grouse hunting all kinds of fun stuff but you know tonight my guest is uh, Steve Jordan and we're kind of Steve's always been on the show and 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 helped me out with the food plot thing and um, you know I gave him a call I'm like hey you want to come in and talk about food plots he goes yeah timing's perfect on that so um, I'm going to welcome in uh, Steve is here and he's also brought a special guest why don't you introduce your guest Steve I brought my grandson Ray Stieg out of Oshkosh. Uh, he helps me on food plots. He drives my tractor and uh, he's seeded out some plots and he's got sunflowers now that are over six feet tall yeah, and all kinds of neat stuff. Ray from Oshkosh is here. So if any of Ray's friends are listening, you can call him up and ask him some questions. But <laughs> great, to, nice to bring somebody along. It's great to see, you know, I know you've been a, always been a proponent of getting the, you know, people mm-hmm. involved in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And it's really got to be cool um, when you can take that to the next level and, and, and get kids and, and the youth involved. Right, and they really enjoy it too. You know, anything in the outdoors um, that you can get a youth to do, um, if you can get them hooked on the outdoors, they're going to be very valuable for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to continue this stewardship of the outdoors, you know, mm-hmm. once we're gone and, and keeping the kids educated and, and so on. So, um, Ray, I'll ask you this. What what do you like most about being in the outdoors outside of that, um, you know, uh, your grandfather's got like the primo piece of property to turkey hunt, deer hunt, fish, um, just about anything you could imagine. What is it about the outdoors that really it, it gives you enjoyment? I guess it's that you can, um, there's just so much you can do, mm-hmm. and um, you'll never really get bored. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Boredom, you will not get bored being an, being an outdoor person. Now, do you like to hunt and fish, or what? what's your favorite uh, favorite sport? I don't know. It's hard to decide between hunting and fishing. Sure. Um, I'd say I like hunting more. Hunting more? Okay, you like deer hunt or grouse hunt or? Uh, deer hunt. Deer hunt, yeah. You get to hunt down Grandpa's place? Yeah. Uh, very cool. <laughs> That's like a mecca for deer and turkeys over there. Uh, and wood ducks. Uh, how is mm-hmm. the how's the water level looking this year? Um, It was down, but not dangerously down. Okay. And now it's back up really nice again. But the spring was awesome because we had high water for a long time. Sure. Which is so important because the water flows into the brush and it protects those little ducks from the hawks and the owls. When the water gets really low early, they're sitting ducks. Makes right, right out sense. in the open. Yep. How, how many uh, how many broods do you think you hatched out there on the place? Well, I'm thinking probably 
over 30 broods. Nice. Yeah, it was excellent. Excellent. Did they come out and uh, put transmitters on any of them again this year? Or? They couldn't because of that that bird virus that was going oh, around. Okay. They they didn't feel comfortable with it, so we're really disappointed in that. Yeah, I know because that's mm-hmm. always kind of a fun thing for uh, for those people to come out and, and capture those birds and get right. that stuff put out. There's a lot of data the um, you know to be uh, to be used for that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very cool. So you must have lots of lots of local woodies. Uh, Right around there. This yeah, year. and the mallards are really up in population too. <coughs> I've noticed that there's yeah. been quite a few more so um, than I've seen in the past. At least where I am on Winnebago, there mm-hmm. seems to be more. Uh, there were some, uh, a couple of mallards that picked my yard to nest in, but for some reason the raccoons thought that that was a good place <laughs> to look for eggs, so they yeah. they robbed the nest. But it, it it you know they'll they'll re-nest again and. And it seems like there's just a lot of a lot of mallards. What about hooded mergansers? Do you get a lot of those out there by um, you? Quite a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they'll actually drop eggs in a wood duck house, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And their eggs are are round, pretty much round compared to a wood duck that's more okay. an oblong egg, and slightly bigger. Very interesting. But I don't have an overpopulation um, of the mergansers, so I don't bother them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. It's, Mm-hmm. It's a common bird, and I, I shot my first drake, at least one to get mounted last year. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, I'm seeing more and more of them every year. And I hunt up in the northern part of uh, of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and it just, every year I'm seeing, there were years I'd hunt up there, I wouldn't see any. And now I, I'm seeing flocks of at least 25, maybe 30, and then smaller groups here and there but uh, this one i shot out on lake winnebago which was really kind of odd the taxidermy mm-hmm. goes he says uh, you shot that on lake winnebago and i'm like yeah he goes mm, yeah. they'll show up out there but mm-hmm. they like those seems like they like those ponds and stuff like you right. have at your place mm-hmm. i don't get many in the fall you know they'll nest there in the spring but then they now go somewhere a, else isn't that interesting yep mm-hmm. but i suppose with the river there too there's plenty of uh plenty of opportunities yeah they're for them spread to out pretty good yeah yep, for sure but um, anyway, um, you know, food plots, we're at that, that time of year. This was a, always kind of like my date set uh, for putting in the fall plots. Right. You know, a lot of guys try to sneak them in early, and then they'll call me up, and they'll go, boy, it, it's so weedy. It's like, well, yeah, you planted it too early. And the, the goal is to have a young, plush crop going into the fall, not an old, mature crop. Like everything around you in the fall is mature and and done for the year pretty much and you want your food plot young and plush Mm. you can have a combination you can have your corn and your soybeans but you need that young plush crop like the turnip mixes the brassicas the winter rise the radishes going into the fall real healthy and young and it seems like you know back when i first started it was you know turnips and rape were the were Mm -hmm. the big things but now seems like these forage forage radishes have really become popular for a lot of different reasons yeah they're they're amazing the radishes they they root down real deep real fast and they bring in a lot of these nutrients that other plants can't reach but then they have a tuber on top it's almost like a banana it's yellow and more like a carrot but it's yellow Mm -hmm. and it stores those nutrients so the deer really like that because i think they're picking up on those nutrients too but with me i plant too many that the deer can never eat them all so then those nutrients lay on the surface for the following year as fertilizer. Oh, excellent. I mean, you talk about soil aeration, too, if you get enough of those in oh. there. I mean, they, they make a pretty big hole in the soil. And you know what? What The, the nickname for the radish is a bio-drill. A bio-drill. Well, yep. that would make perfect yep. sense. Yep, it drills through that hard pan, which is so important because if it rains real hard, like we just had a really hard rain, mm-hmm. um, if you have a hard pan, you get a lot of water erosion. But if you're soil is perforated from those radishes or from a chisel plow it can soak in so much more water so it doesn't get a chance to run away perfect and you know when you when you when you've talked about the fall plantings do guys put you know clover in with those mixes and and i heard you mention ryegrass and stuff like that is that is that you know because you know that stuff grows pretty fast right turnips and a rape and it gets really big and leafy right and and clover is, is pretty much known as a perennial. However, a crimson clover, that's a variety, is a, it doesn't winter in Wisconsin very well at all. 
Okay. But it grows really fast in the fall, and it's Perfect. really succulent. So I like to put the crimson clover in my turnip mixes. You know, when you're planting fall food plots, Steve, is there, you know, do you do any extra special prepping? Do you, you know, do you need to follow the same protocols that you do when you're putting stuff in in the spring? The main thing, the main thing is to do weed control ahead of time. There's a couple good ways to do it. Um, you can plant Roundup Ready soybeans in the spring. Keep that field sprayed for weeds. The deer will be eating on those soybeans all year long, which is important because it gets them to come to your food plot all summer long so it's not, you know, waiting for some new deer to move in or anything. These guys, these deer live there. Now, if your soybeans look really good this time of year, it's mid-August, you hate to destroy them because the deer are in there every day, but you can run strips, just disc some strips or till some strips in those soybeans and put in your good turnip mixes. But most of the time, your soybeans are really beat up. If you have any kind of high deer density, your soybeans are going to look pretty rugged this time of year. Okay. But if they're still in there every day, but there's a lot of soil showing because you did a good job of spraying, now you can just broadcast your turnip mix over the top of those soybeans, wait for the next rain to come, and that'll germinate your small little um, turnip mix seeds. So that's another good way to do it. Yeah, that's perfect because it doesn't take much. Those seeds are so tiny, and if your soil is, you know, it, if it's soft, just so, it doesn't yeah, take much. All it takes is one rain. Yep. That's all it takes. Rain is a cultipacker and the germinator. That's perfect. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about, um, you know, soybeans, and, and there's there's quite a few different varieties. I remember I, we, we talked a while ago about mm-hmm. some that got really tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a forage soybean, and it gets four to five feet tall, depending on soil conditions. And it can have 40 pods on each stalk. Um, They're again in high deer density areas. It's really tasty and they're not going to let it grow like that. But if you have enough of an area to plant, it's amazing for winter feeding then also. Do you recommend that, you know, if guys are putting in soybeans, that they put something else out there as well to kind of keep the deer from, you know, decimating those things? Well, if a guy really wants to keep the soybeans for winter feeding, in other words, get a lot of pods on them, a big healthy plant, the solar electric fencing has worked incredible. Really? Yes, it's it's a no-brainer. Um, you could fence in a quarter acre for about $250, and you'll have that fence for years. You can do a half acre for another $75 because you've already got your, you know, your solar panel and and your your all you have to buy is more fence posts and more ribbon. Okay. You know, you know so every half acre is another seventy five dollars. Oh, okay. But so if, you're just adding you're adding, adding on to it. Yeah. Okay. You can still run everything through. Do you have to add uh, solar panels onto that, or no? Is it just one. You can do. I I'm off the top of my head. Five miles wow. of ribbon off of one little solar panel. I'll be darned. I'm I'm not talking five miles straight because you're running you know three wires. Sure, but still that's one heck of an area. Yeah, no kidding. So wow, and that's it, been fun to do that. You know, and it that's really if you want to keep the deer off of it, that's the only option really that you have because mm-hmm. we all know soybeans for late season. I, I don't think you can beat any better. No, you can beat that food source. Right, and you can move that fence around too. Um, like especially with the alfalfas and the clovers, if they're really hard on that, you can let it grow up to a foot, foot and a half high and then move that electric fence over it. Take you two hours, you'll have it all set up in a new area. Wow. Let that area kind of regroup and give the deer a brand new area that's got a lot of food in it. Where can guys pick that stuff up, Steve? Where'd Fleet, you get your Fleet stuff? Farm is Fleet perfect. Farm? Tractor supply, all those places. And when you're Go running, online. I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. when you're running the ribbon, do you run one or two? We like to run three. Oh, three. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you go on and, and Google it, there's so many variations of those wires that'll drive you nuts. Um, we, we use three wires just like it would be a, a standard fence. Okay. Um, if you maintain it and keep an eye on it, you'll be fine. But if they do start jumping it, then get creative and, you know, do it a little different. We have not had an issue. Really? Because we know they can jump. You can jump pretty good. They but don't I'm, like getting zapped, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody does. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's almost essential to have that to protect those. Because so, mm-hmm. they'll just 
they'll just chew them right down to, oh, to right. nothing. Right. You know, which is what it's there for, but still you kind of want a nice looking plot and, mm-hmm. and you want, I'm big on the winter feeding, so I want to make sure that I have plenty of winter food for those deer. Yeah, that was always the objective for me as well. It was great to hunt over them, but you got to have something, you know, when all the crops are on you, all the mm-hmm. corn and the hay and everything is all cut down. Mm-hmm. You've got to have something for them um, to get at when the weather gets a little gets a little ugly. And I remember the first year putting in um, turnips and going out uh, in the spring to, to shed hunt. There was still quite a bit of snow on the ground, mm-hmm. um, and it looked like little explosions. Mm-hmm. all over and mm-hmm. it was a two acre plot but there was still plenty of you know turnips in there for them to eat but they were just digging in there like crazy right. which means you know that's that's great to have them you know have a good food source because what is there to eat after that you know right. then it's browse you look around and there isn't much that in the on the countryside yeah so if you can have something for them that it's really it's just great going into the spring with a little lard on their back yet yep you know that's pretty special for fawn production and right. antler growth and all that oh, giving them all those nutrients and and giving them all that stuff to get them through because obviously the they breed in the fall and the the does carry those embryos through the winter and whatever you can do to keep them you know uh well fed mm-hmm. um, is is essential but um let's talk a little bit about you know when you talk about soybeans um there is quite a variety and do you plant them at different intervals so that you've got, you know, things coming, you know, maturing at different rates? Well, it isn't the maturing at different rates. I do put a strip, like, say, 15 feet wide, 200 yards long, and 200 yards long as soon as I can get on there in the spring. And the deer are going to be really hard on that. But three weeks later, I'll plant another strip, 15 feet wide, 200 yards long. Now when those come up and they're three or four inches tall, they leave my first batch alone and it gets to regroup. Oh, I see. I do that all summer long, so that's where I get my winter feeding because they always go after the young tender ones. That's very. That, that's actually pretty smart because then you're taking pressure off of each one of those exactly and letting them letting mm-hmm. them grow. And mm-hmm. by the time they get down to the last one, maybe they're going back to that first one that's grown again. Or does that right. the, well? They probably won't bother that till. Well into November, December. Really? Because they're going to have all the turnips and that stuff to eat. And then the soybeans, mature soybeans, the actual seeds are really sought after. Once it, you get a couple good frosts, they really like them. Very good. Very good. All right, well, awesome. Listen, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, we'll have more of Fleet Farms of the Outdoor Show right here on The Score. Welcome back to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druick. Thanks for uh, dialing us up here tonight. As fall quickly approaches, it is time to visit my friends at Evergreen Power. They have a huge selection of Husqvarna chainsaws in stock, all the way up to a 60-inch cut cutting bar for those really big jobs. And they also have a huge selection of all your climbing gear and safety equipment for all your professional cutters as well. They also have a huge selection of Toro Walk Behind and commercial mowers, or if you prefer a zero-turn mower, if that's your preference, they have those as well. Evergreen Power has a money-back guarantee. If you're not happy with your purchase, they will buy it back or replace it. Financing is also available along with pickup and delivery. For the best sales and service in town, visit my friends Greg and Ryan at Evergreen Power, located on Highway N and Little Chute, right across from Simon's Cheese. Evergreen Power, your Fox City's Toro headquarters. You can count on them. So I've recently transitioned to a, a battery-operated lawnmower. Oh, how's that working it's for you? It's really cool. I bought one of those Egos. Are you familiar with those? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it started out with an Ego chainsaw, and I bought that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this out. I love it. You know, no gas smell, no mm-hmm. no nothing. You know, and you get the battery actually lasts longer than what I expected. And then I bought the leaf blower, and my wife bought me the weed eater, and now we have the lawnmower. 
and all the batteries are interchangeable, which nice. is kind of cool. You always got, you always have one. I could cut my whole lawn on one battery charge. Wow. It's quiet. It it works actually very well, and it folds up, and I can lay it up against the wall. Mm-hmm. You must hear the whoosh of the blades, and, and that grass flies out of there, and it smells so good. And yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm, I a lot of my neighbors have come over and said, I can't believe how quiet that thing is. And I said, Yeah, there's no gas smell. Not yeah. like I'm saving a ton of money on gas expenses, but I, I'm pleasantly surprised at how well um, how well it works. It takes a little bit to learn how to maneuver it. It's not like my Toro. I've had Toros before that. Um, you know, learn, using the self-propelled thing is mm-hmm. a little bit different. But you know what? Like anything else, I figured. Yeah. Out, but wow. Yeah. Very cool. Just just in case. Mm-hmm. But you've got all your own equipment and all that kind of stuff anyway, don't I you? I do have a battery-operated UTV though. How does that work? Oh, my gosh. Is that nice? Is it? You wouldn't believe the animals you sneak right up on. <laughs> That's awesome. I, have an, I had a fox. I had him be on a, on one of my logging trails, and it was sitting down looking away from me, and I drove right up to him, and I said, how's your day going? You should have seen him fly out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're, like, super quiet. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. how long does the battery last you on that? A long, long time. Days. Days? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. What, what kind it is has, it? It's a bad boy. Bad boy. It has nine big deep cell batteries in it. Wow. And it's amazing. You just plug it in and charge it up? Yep. You don't have to take batteries out or do anything nope. like that. It's Mm-mm. got like a charging port on it? It's got its own charger Very mounted cool. on the wall of my garage. You just plug it in. and. Nice. Does it have a big dump in the back? Yep. Or? Oh, yeah. Of course. I knew the answer to that before I asked that question. Yeah, it's really neat. But anyway, hey, if you want to uh, you want to talk to Steve or myself, you got a question, give us a call at 281-1570 or 866-653-1570, or you can uh, send me an email at livingtheoutdoorswi.gmail.com. So we're talking about food plots. And, you know, um, what? I know there's a lot of different um, types of seeds and, and things of that nature. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, fertilization obviously you're going to need to put something on there what what do you recommend that guys put on these fall food plots well the average food plot is just a triple 17 triple 19 but um if you get a soil test it's really a good idea because your soil might not need you know potassium or potash or whatever so you're kind of wasting your money on that where you can customize your fertilizer for what you really need for that soil um, if you're really into the food plots, I strongly recommend you you do that. Sure. Um, I've got what I call the ultimate food plot. And, uh, you know, there's so many people doing food plots now. It used to be 15, 20 years ago, if you did a food plot, you were the only one around, and the deer just came, like, really good. Right. But now all the neighbors are doing them and this and that. And it's wonderful going back to the healthy deer. You're right. A lot of food. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy about it. But you still now you have to have the best food plot if you want to really attract the deer to your property. So I'm just going to give you one example how I do it. Oh, here we go. And it's probably Write gonna, this down. It'll probably be updated. <laughs> um, but, you know, just to start out, just level the food plot off. Remember I talked about the soybeans? Like if your soybeans are good and you do some strips in there? Yeah. You know, 15 feet wide and, and go as long as you can, as far as you can. So let's just say you did that. Let's say you have two or three nice strips in amongst your soybeans. So it's nice level soil. Now you're going to want to spread fertilizer on there, right on the surface. And if you, this time of year, middle of August, spread soybean seeds on there again. Now you're right in a soybean field, but those soybeans are getting pretty tough. They're mature by now and um, not as tasty as they were when they were three or four inches high. Sure. So spread some soybeans on there along with your fertilizer. And any large seeds that you might have had left over, maybe you have some sunflower seeds. Deer love young sunflowers too. Even corn planted this time of year. You know how how hard they are on the corn sometimes Mm -hmm. when it's coming up in the spring? You should try a little 6-8 inch corn stalk right now or corn plant. They Really? really like that also. So if you have any extra stuff, put that on there. And then work it in. To about an inch to two inches because big seeds need to be covered your fertilizer needs to be covered because otherwise a lot of it evaporates okay so it's important to try to work that under so now you've got the big seeds down where they belong in the fertilizer 
Now take your, your turnip mixes and put it over the top and then cultipack it. You know, pack it down with a cultipacker or just drive back and forth with the four-wheeler and squish that down so you get good seed-to-soil contact. Now in about two weeks, you're going to have these young, tasty soybeans coming up through there. Your turnip mix is going to be coming up. And the soybeans are not going to crowd out your turnip mix because the first frost, which is probably going to be the end of September, that soybean dies instantly, gone. And now all the sun's going to get in there, you know, for your turnip mix. But in the meantime, that's early bow season, you're going to have those young, tasty soybeans growing in there, which are going to be dynamite. Oh, wow. So that kind of... Those, those soybeans are protecting all the rest of that stuff, letting it get up high enough. Right. Wow. Right. Very cool. Great in, idea. In the cold weather, you know, the turnip mixes just love the cold weather. They mm-hmm. just grow like crazy on a, you know, crisp, frosty morning in the afternoon. They grew two inches. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Uh, and, and the deer won't touch them. You know, they'll nibble on a little yep. bit on the tops or whatever, but well, as soon as that, that frost hits them, mm-hmm. and there's what, a uh, starch transition is there? Is right, that it brings that the sugars out yep. out of, out of the, the roots. But um, also the young soybeans keep them from bothering a lot of that stuff, so it really gets healthier until that first frost. You know, it's got more growth on it. Sure. If that's all you had was the turnip mix, some things would be picked on, where when there's young soybeans in there, they won't touch the turnips. Wow, that's what a great idea! So you're just you're playing the game. You well, I'm trying to make you know my food plots a little bit better than the neighbors. You know, and that's it's interesting that you brought that up because I remember when I first did it, and you, you're, the time frame is about that. It's over 20 years, uh, and I experimented, and I had some guys come and put some stuff in, and then I started getting access to equipment and doing it myself and customizing it, planting different. You know, I, it was a two-acre plot, but it was only about 40 yards wide, but it was long. Mm-hmm. And I did that intentionally because I didn't want the deer to be going farther out and farther out. I wanted to keep them at least within a certain range to possibly get a shot. Mm-hmm. And I was so fussy. I hated weeds. They were the mm-hmm. enemy. Mm-hmm. And it, I struggled at first uh, with the ground that would sat fallow for probably 10 years plus but it took me a few years to kind of eradicate that you never get totally away from it but um and then just watching everything kind of transpire and then shooting my first deer on that it was Mm -hmm. there's something about that steve and i know you you feel the same way that you know you put all this work and this effort into it and and uh there were times where i'd be sitting in my bow stand and people were stopping because like there's one spot on the road where you could seed into the a mm-hmm. portion of the food plot. I'd have like 30 or 40 deer in there, but there was nobody else that was doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was amazing to see that. And then you know neighbors started asking me, you know, well, what are all those deer doing down there? And I told them what I was doing. They're doing what? Mm-hmm. You're putting what in the ground? Mm-hmm. You know, because they're so used to having corn or alfalfa or clover or whatever, but all of these other things that were accessible that deer really liked, mm-hmm. and then experimenting with you know all the different types of things and finally figured out what they liked and then just went with that and and kept the ball moving but it was kind of fun um you know to to see how that whole thing transpired it was work mm-hmm. but you know having the proper equipment it's, uh, you know it, which is the next question i'm going to ask you um it, it makes a huge difference and obviously mm-hmm. you've got equipment to do all this stuff but the average guy really doesn't need to go have a tractor and all these kinds of things there's ways that they can get this done Right. The UTVs, um, almost everybody that's a, any kind of a serious hunter has a four-wheeler or side-by-side. Sure. And they make the nicest equipment for those now. You know, little discs and cultipackers and plows and diggers and, mm-hmm. you know, and you can have a lot of fun with those. And even if it's an area, like you said, that hadn't been farmed for over 10 years, you might have to get a farmer to come to initially plow that big sod base mm-hmm. up. But after that, if you keep it up, You'll have no trouble with the UTVs. Yeah, it's exactly what I had to do. He had to come in with mm-hmm. a big plow and just turn it over, mm-hmm. and then it was all big clumpy. And but mm-hmm. you know that you just disked it up and kept working it, and mm-hmm. kept working it, and and you know getting rid of the weeds and and doing all that stuff. But yeah, I mean it, it's it started for me with a I think Tecamati um, had what they called the plot master that had you know mm-hmm. chisels on it, had a disc on it, had mm-hmm. a drag on it, had a drop seeder. 
Um, and that and that worked really well. And it, but you know, there's there's all these implements. You know, you've got sprayers and stuff that 15 foot boom sprayers you can put on the back of your four wheeler they, you can put uh cedars on there all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. it's really you know and and it's a type of thing too if you got a, you and your bunch of friends are, are doing it you know maybe you can all chip in and everybody uses it you mm-hmm. know but it, a lot of guys are figuring out that you know it's it you know your upfront cost is it but it's going to last you you know if you take right. care of your equipment it's going to mm-hmm. last you and if if that's what your passion is and you like to you know, you want to shoot deer, and everybody puts time and effort into setting their stands and doing their mm-hmm. scouting and stuff like this. This is just another element to put into your bag of tricks. Well, and the the food plots are such great spots for your trail cams, and everybody's into the trail cams now. And pictures are flying all over the place back and forth. Well, mm-hmm. look at the buck that's in here, and look at all the deer in here. And, you know, that's another special thing to do, you know, is the trail cam stuff with the food plots. If you didn't have the food plots, what would you have? To attract the deer you might have a mineral lick or something and now you can't do that anymore um set up by some good trails you know you get a few deer but you put it in a food plot where all those deer are coming you know what's a, you know what's around yeah just by doing that you know and that's that's exactly it now you've got these you know um cameras that will send pictures to your phone mm-hmm. and you can always tell because this time of year the guys are all coming in ding, yeah. ding, yeah. ding ding oh check this one out ding yeah. you know it's kind of you know, when I first started doing it, I still have it. It was a, a, a 35 millimeter camera. It was it was called a Woods Watcher, and it would work great until it got cold, and then it just wouldn't work very mm-hmm. well. But I still have that original camera, wow. um, and and it, just to see the progression of you know with Cuddy back and all these other ones. Then there was the video, and I was more of a video guy mm-hmm. than I was pictures because you know you see a picture of a deer. All right, where's he coming from? You don't know which direction. Even mm-hmm. even thirty second video is going to let you know what direction that deer came from. Um, I like to put them up on scrapes, but I would always put them in the food plots because, like you said, Steve, that's going to give you an idea uh, of exactly what's around. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're going to be in that food source, and it's going to make a lot of the bigger buck pictures that I got over the years were all at night, which of course, mm-hmm. you know. But it was a great way to. I don't want to say take an inventory, but give you an idea of, of what was around. And amazing enough that a lot of the really big deer that I had on camera, I never saw them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, but to know they're there. Exactly. Just, oh. just to know that that mm-hmm. beast is, is in that area, Yeah, it, it motivates you a mm-hmm. little bit to get out on those days where you want to go, you know, it's too windy, it's too cold, or, you know, mm-hmm. this or that and the other thing. Eh, that that go watch that little video and, and well, get you motivated. And if you, you know, weren't worried about filling your freezer, just to know that big ones around helps you let some two and a half year olds go exactly. because, you know, my freezer's in good shape and I really enjoy watching them walk around, and I might get that big guy to come. Yeah, you know exactly. And and I was never I've shot more does than bucks. And and that's okay because mm-hmm. it was back when we had earn a buck. You remember those days? Oh and, boy! <laughs> uh, you know that was always a challenge. But you know when you're, I tried to manage things as best as I could. And and when I first bought the property, there were so many does, mm-hmm. and we just made a commitment to to start thinning that out a little bit. And you know several years down the road, three years down the road, four years down the road, you started to see a little bit more buck activity. Mm-hmm. They got a little bit bigger, and you know you. Yep. If you fill the freezer, you know, a lot of guys still, I will not shoot a doe because mm-hmm. you're shooting X amount of other. Well, you know what? When you have that many, your ratio is way out of whack. You really don't have much choice, right. at least in my opinion. Yeah. I have a special doe stand where it's kind of away from the big food plots and, sure. you know, where I'm not bothering anything out there because they have their little sanctuary. And, yep. But um, I fill the freezer pretty good. So Yeah. And you're exactly <laughs> right. And that's, you don't want to go hunt out of your good rut hunting mm-hmm. stands to kill does mm-hmm. you know it was the same way i had a spot up in the front end of my property so i wouldn't have to walk through the bedding area mm-hmm. and you know take take the does on that field where you're not messing everything up and and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's back in the day when we had to shoot a shoot does uh, to get a buck tag um yeah we put laid plenty of does down but you know what they they eat just as good Mm-hmm. You know, and I prefer to actually the, you know, shoot the yearlings. 
I thought they tasted mm-hmm. even better. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't big, big on shooting fawns, but those yearlings, uh, they were pretty yummy as well. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, listen, we're going to go ahead and take another break. When we come back, we'll have more of Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show right here on The Score. Welcome back to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. I'm your host, Mark Druitt. Thanks for tuning us in tonight. Steve Jordan is joining me here in the studio with his grandson, Ray. And we're talking about food plots. If you want to chat with us, 281-1570 or 866-653-1570, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So we left off talking about cameras. Do you have uh, some of those out on your place where they send you the pictures? No, because... No, just old traditional ones? If I had land up north or far away, i definitely sure. go that route. But I live right there, so um, I just have the standard cameras but i do have the wild game 360 which you were saying how you don't know which way they're facing yeah well this camera rotates inside really yeah so it'll take a picture of anything that trips it but then it'll follow it until it's out of range and it's that's really cool awesome. that tells you more of a story doesn't it well you know the first picture might just be the butt of a deer if it's running through or walking right. through fast but then the second one's right on them third one's right on them and if you're still in range you get another one Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Remember getting plenty of pictures of uh, snouts and butts. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I, I really like the like the ones where their nose is like right yep. there. And you, you know? really have to study it to see what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> and, again, doing the video because they're, they're intrigued. And some of those cameras, mm-hmm. you know, um, weren't, you know, infrared or they'd click or they'd make a, a popping noise or something like that. And that would always you know mm-hmm. get them a little curious and it was funny uh, a couple years i would set up a, a camera that would kind of make a a popping noise when it would go off and then i set an infrared one across from that just to see what their reaction was mm, good idea. if it would spook them or mm-hmm. and it was funny because some would it would just freak them out other ones would just look and they'd get their picture taken twice but i could look at it from two different mm-hmm. perspectives it was kind of interesting. The bucks that would get captured on there would spook, but there were some some does and fawns and stuff that it really, it really mm-hmm. never never bothered them. And then there there were some that would glow with the, the yep. infrared before they got the blackouts and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But it was interesting, you know, over the years to see uh, the progression of of game cameras, and mm-hmm. I, I, it got to the end of of for me where. It got to be more fun seeing what else was out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I got pictures of fishers, uh, badgers, uh, bobcats, yep, and uh, the neighbor's dog. The neighbor, the neighbor, uh, the neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> that was that brings up an interesting story. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, and it took me a while to figure out who it was, and I confronted him and asked him, like, hey, you know, were you guys hunting on the property? No, we didn't go over there. Go, is this you? I'm showing Steve like I'm pretending mm-hmm. it's a picture. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Yeah, that was yeah, that was us." I'm like, "Why didn't you just ask me?" You know, I wasn't up here. If you guys wanted to push a drive or something through, mm-hmm. I said, "But you know, in the future, um, yeah, please stay out. I don't, I don't go on your place. I just and and when I bought my place the first time, I connected with all of the neighbors that I could, and just developed a reciprocity thing. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, if you guys shoot a deer, um, don't try and track me down." Because in the early days, I didn't have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, here's my home phone number. Call and leave me a message. And, you know, please go. I don't want you to have to wait and not be able to find that mm-hmm. animal. And, but I said on the on the backside of that, too, please, you know, allow me to, to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked out really well mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you had that upfront agreement that that's okay to do that. Right. So. The trail cams have really helped the trespassing problem. Oh, God, yeah. Because everybody's got trail cams now, and they're pretty – people are camera shy, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's either that. Or you, um, a buddy of mine actually had pictures of guys with head nets on. Oh, they go, well, that, that's pretty extreme. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's taking that to a whole different level. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I could see how that could definitely uh, yeah. be considered evidence if mm-hmm. you were caught doing that. But, um, you know, they have a place, and – and like I mentioned earlier, Steve, that you know it got to the point for me where um, I, I knew the deer were there, and it just was more fun 
to see all of the other stuff. And then I, I really had fun putting them up in, in the spring for turkeys. Mm-hmm. And it was a, I got some yeah. of the best photos and some of yeah. the best videos of turkeys strutting and drumming and gobbling yeah. right in front of the camera. That, to me, was cool. Right, and you're thinking, why am I getting up at 3 in the morning when right. these guys are coming out at 3 in the afternoon? I'm going to be there. That's like, you, you know what? You hit it right on the head, mm-hmm. and that's what I was watching for. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they were coming in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and they were it, consistently... And it's like, oh, yeah, because they'd yeah. have to get up and drive an hour and a yeah. half to get there. And I mean, that's pretty special to hunt when they're gobbling in the trees, but, but not, not every day. Not, <laughs> no, that kind of gets old after yeah. a while and, and, and such. But, yeah, it, you know, and as you very well know, turkeys get, they get active. They're just not mm-hmm. gobbling as much, but they're still out moving around. Right. Yeah. They're following those hens. They're doing their mm-hmm. thing. And, uh but that was always uh, the fun part of that. But, you know, I think they're still, um, you know, have a place in, in the arsenal for doing all that stuff. I just, now it just, you know, it's funny to listen. You know all the guys who have their game cameras out because they're in the store and they're just ding, ding. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely hilarious. But, yeah, they're um, addicted to them. Yeah, it, it mm-hmm. is. It can be. Uh, I always refer to it as, it's like, you know, opening up a Christmas present, you know, and I look forward to, you know, going pulling the cards and then going to see what was mm-hmm. was on there. That was always kind of the fun part about it. But you know, in the fall, um, you know, when you're you've got all your plots and you've got everything done, and um, are you an individual that has specific spots that you set up specifically for hunting? Do you put you know, a certain type of seed or something in there that's going to draw them in that time of year? I always have my youngest, tenderest food plot by the stands. Okay. Because that's where they're, that's where they're going to be. Makes um, perfect sense. You know, one thing interesting, like, um, I'll get, every year I get calls where a guy's in his bow stand the first week of bow season, and he'll call me up, either text me from the stand or call me on his way home, I was always going to call you and see if we could do a food plot here. And I used to go, you know, yeah, give me a call next year. But what I've been doing the last five years is I just say, well, let's just stick one in. You know, even though it's September, October, let's get it worked up. That's the main deal anyway. Okay. Put in some winter rye that loves the cold weather. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Deer-like. Let's get it going. Next year will be way ahead of the game you're not going to forget because we've already got it started you know and then i will also give them a call you know the following year hey now what do you want to do with that this year we got okay. it all broken and you know here's your options so were they surprised yeah. when you say well hey let's let's put yeah. something in there would well, be like oh well, well, you know they're half of them are hesitant because well won't that mess up the deer and i said nope you turn up that soil you'll have all kinds of deer <laughs> they love that smell it's almost like the lunch somebody's opening a lunch box yeah yep. they know something's going on so cool. um so you know obviously where where you where you are it, it's a really good deer hunting area mm-hmm. what what are you seeing so far this year is the population looking like it's pretty good pretty healthy what do you what's your take for this year they wintered really well um, I'm not seeing a lot of deer now, but there's a lot of standing corn. Yeah. You know, and not a lot of open openings. So uh, I'm sure they're in really good shape. That's good. I've got one uh, uh, one doe by my house that's got uh, triplets. Mm, nice. You know, which is telling me that they probably had a, you know, the winter was not that bad. No. This year. You know, we didn't have tons of snow. We had some cold, but it wasn't, right. you know, drawn out. So We haven't had a bad winter for a long time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, seems like, it seems like, a, you know, quite a while. But what what to you is, is would you constitute as a, a bad winter? Real sub-zero temperatures? What, what do you well, consider to be bad? A crusty snow that they can't get down to whatever's below it and cold weather. You know, and, and I've got a couple of tricks. I haven't had to do this for a long time. But you can actually disc that hard, that crusty stuff and bust that all up with a, with a disc. I was hoping a plane wasn't going to fly over and see me discing in the middle of January. <laughs> but that works. Also, you know, you can um, bust some of that up with the bucket of the tractor. I, you did tell me that, yeah, there. where you've gone out and kind of dragged a, dragged a, a 
you know so a part of your food plot open right and uh, and if uh, if it is really a thick ice that you can't bust through very easy just buy a 50 pound bag of salt make some snake trails out there that'll open it up to the ground the sun will beat on it plus the deer will be working on it pretty soon that snake trail is 10 feet wide Sure, and then so, sun gets heats it up a little yeah. bit and continues to melt. Through. I never thought right. about salt. That's the perfect. It, it is. It works great. And I say I haven't had to do it. I bet you it's been ten years since really? I had to do that. But, but I'll bust that up a lot of times if it gets that crust on it because I want them to dig in there, and you'll get turkeys to come in there and and deer all winter long. Yeah, those food plots are not just beneficial for deer. I mean, oh right, all kinds of birds mm-hmm. and and forest critters and all that that's beneficial for everything Mm -hmm. but um you know do you plant corn oh yeah do you that's you know one of my winter foods is the corn and the soybeans perfect all right well listen we're gonna go ahead and take our last break we're gonna come back and wrap it up on fleet farms living the outdoor show right here on the score All right, welcome back to Fleet Farms Living the Outdoor Show here on The Score. Got a couple minutes left here. Steve Jordan uh, is joining me here. He's got his grandson, Ray, with us. Ray, what would you think? Did you have fun sitting here listening to Grandpa shoot the breeze? I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll, take that as a, uh, I'll take that as a solid yes. So school starts for you pretty soon, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you excited about that? Kind of. Kind of? School's fun. Yeah. It can be. Now, do you what? What's your uh, what's your favorite subject? Um, science. Science. Good answer. If you were going to say recess or break time, I would have to ask you that question again. <laughs> um, science is great. I mean, that's a that's a, a good area. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, as as Grandpa will tell you, there's a lot of stuff that uh, is essential when it comes to science. All kinds of stuff, especially what he likes to do. But Steve. Um, any any last minute uh, comments or suggestions when it comes to uh, some comes to food plots? I know we covered a lot of stuff, but you got anything else in your little bag of tricks? You know, a lot of guys they think about putting a food plot in, and but it leaves their mind all summer long, and then once they get into their bow stands in September, they're like, "Oh yeah, I was thinking of putting a food plot in there. I was going to call somebody or whatever." Mm-hmm. I'll get calls every every year. You know, yeah, I was going to call you. And what I tell them is now is I just say, let's, let's put it in, you know, while it's September or it's October. It's like, yeah, we can get it worked up and put some winter rye in. It's going to be great. Uh, and the next year we'll have it. All the prep work will be done. We can put in whatever we want. But we have some late crops we can stick in. And uh, that way I can do a follow-up call with you in the spring to see what you want to do. And nobody's going to forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> What's their answer to you? It's like, no, I don't want you in there digging oh, up my Yeah, they, my well, you're going to scare the deer. I, I'm hunting in here. And mm-hmm. I said, do you turn that soil over? And you know how good soil smells when, you, oh, when you're when you working it? Yep. The deer love that also. It's only going to, even if your crop doesn't do anything, just turning that soil over is going to make a lot of curiosity for those deer to come in and see what's going on. Yeah, because they know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, they're used to the farmers working on that stuff. And exactly. Somebody's opening up the lunchbox and yep. uh, sending yep. us an invitation. But, yeah, so, I guess if somebody would told me that for the first time, I'd be like, nah, no, I really don't well, want you it, in there. But What I'm saying is never too late. Yeah. You know, let's get going on it. And the ryegrass that, that you would mentioned it, earlier, that, love, that loves, loves cold It loves the weather. cold weather. It stays green all winter. They'll dig through the snow, and you'll see where they bring up green grass. It looks just like grass. In the spring, it's still green. It's the only green thing when the snow melts. And you'll see snow melting off of part of it. It'll be as green as can be right next to the snowbank. And as that snowbank starts disappearing, it's green as can be. Turkeys love it in the spring. It's always a good turkey hunting spot. And the deer are eating on it, the migrating birds come and land in there, the geese and the ducks. Yeah, it's amazing because everything will look brown. Mm -hmm. But that's as... Is green like you just put it in the ground. Yep. So um, one last question before we, you know, close out the show. Um, is there specific stuff? Obviously, we, we talked about, you know, stuff beneficial for 
for deer and we know that these are beneficial to all the other animals that are out there but is there something that guys can plant um you know to attract turkeys well turkeys like rye you know that rye grass if you let that mature it's going to seed out for your fall turkey hunting okay it's really good but remember i said it when it's green in the spring Mm -hmm. because it's a biannual plant um they love that green in the spring if you take and shoot a nice tom and you open up his crop to see what he's been eating if there's a rye field around he's gonna have green rye grass in there rye grass it is i know there's so Mm -hmm. many things that these tubes and all these kinds of things that uh, they were marketing specifically for turkeys but you really don't need to do that you're saying just put that put that uh well you know in the spring when we're if you're looking for something for spring turkey hunting it's pretty hard because there's really no time to get anything sure for them um you know the oh the anything for the fall you know your corn obviously sunflowers are excellent sure um you can plant an annual wheat which is you plant it in the spring and it it actually matures in the fall and they do like to eat on the on the seeds but also it attracts hundreds and hundreds of grasshoppers oh there you go they love eating grasshoppers yeah that's a big source of protein for them that time you're awesome other insects Steve, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to join me here again on Living the Outdoors. Thank you for bringing Ray, your grandson. I hope you enjoyed yourself, Ray. <laughs> He's nodding his head, yes. All right, everybody, thanks for taking the time to tune us in here on Fleet Farms Living the Outdoors show. Uh, it is always a pleasure to share my passion for the outdoors. And remember, if you have the opportunity to impact somebody's life through the outdoors, take advantage of it. I guarantee you it will make you a better person. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Have a great evening and live life in the outdoors. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.